Hey Jigs of Tears, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm joined by an anonymous guest who's going by the pseudonym Jane Citrus. Jane was born into the JW religion and started waking up about two years ago after getting married and leaving home. Jane has now faded from the religion and no longer believes it to be the truth. So Jane, how are you today? I'm very good. I'm excited to get my story out and I'm a little bit nervous as well. <laughs> Perfectly understandable, but um, yeah, there, there's no need to be nervous. Good. So I just wanted to get this story out for people who might not have experienced big trauma in the, in the, um, in the religion. But I want people to know that it can be a lot of small things as well that can cause you to want to leave. Um, it's not as big, massive, traumatic events. It can be just little things. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, you've been a subscriber to my channel for a really long time, almost right from the very beginning. I remember you being um, one of the people who would comment on my videos right back um, in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I'm yeah. grateful for. No problem. I love to just try and share the positivity with other people going through a similar thing. Yeah, absolutely. So please tell us about um, your life growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. So as you said, I'm born in, I'm a third generation. So my parents came in when they were about 10 and my grandparents were in when they were probably about 30 or 40. Um, so it's all I've ever known. Childhood, as far as I can remember, was fine. Um, I did not concentrate well at the meetings, to be honest, and I got told off quite a lot for that. Other than that, I can't really remember anything negative from, from childhood. But it's more around when I got to about 13. So from the age where I can start to ask questions and really think about things, that I started to, I don't know, I started to pick out little things that didn't quite make sense to me. Um, just a quick example would be in the Bible where those kids got killed by bears for calling one of the apostles bald and it just didn't sit right with me because I just thought it was such a overreaction especially for a god who's supposed to be so loving um but of course when I asked my parents about that I just got the answer well it's not for us to know it's god's justice and you just have to have faith that he made the right decision sorry right decision at the time um and that kind of that kind of answer would just follow me really through my whole life whenever I would point out things that clearly pretty dodgy mm. that's the sort of answer I would get um and I didn't really I didn't really poke any further than that at the time um so one incident that happened to me that it might not seem like a big thing but to me it was a big thing I think I was about 12 or 13 and we'd gone for um, desserts with some people from the congregation. It was summer, really hot day, and I'd worn a pair of shorts. And on the way home, I remember mum and dad turning around in the car and looking at me, and they were like, their elders have spoke to us, and um, they've raised some concern about your outfit today. Um, and we just think that maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should just wear shorts on the beach in, in the future because it's a little bit inappropriate for everyday wear. 
And being so young, I was kept quite young as well. So I did not understand why shorts could be inappropriate, especially considering I was, I think I was like 12 or 13. But all I knew was that it caused me to be very self, self-conscious self um, mm. and it kind of messed up my self-esteem for a long time after that. Um, I, not to give myself away, but I'm a, quite a curvy girl and I always have been. And my other friends were very skinny and they were white. And none of them had the same issue. I called my best friend when I got home and I said, well, you know, we were all wearing shorts. Did you get counselled on that? She said, no. And it was just me. And so from that point on, I just, I couldn't even wear shorts in the summer. I just felt like people thought I was trying to be sexual or like I was trying to get attention, which I wasn't. I was just trying not to boil to death in the sun. So, like I said, my self-esteem dropped from that point and it became a reoccurring theme in my life. Um, The elders picking on me, really, is how I view it, with my clothing. Um, I grew up in the 2010 kind of era when pencil skirts were quite popular and as I said before my other friends who were kind of skinny they could wear them no problem but if I turned up to the meeting in a pencil skirt even if it was below the knee I would be cancelled on it because apparently it was inappropriate um I wish I'd questioned it more at the time but I I just didn't Mm. that must have been a really you know a a really difficult thing for you to to go through you know it's it's as if they were trying to make you feel shame for your body yes exactly that's how I view it um you know they were saying things like well you're you're being selfish by wearing these clothes because you're not thinking about you know the brothers in the kingdom hall and what problems they might be having about keeping you know keeping their attention on the speaker if you're wearing clothes like that and i do remember thinking to myself well surely that's not my problem mm. if if they are so repressed or whatever it is that they can't stop looking at a girl who's not even showing any flesh just wearing clothing that accentuates her natural body that's something they need to work on mm. not me but and and also the thing is i mean you you were a minor at the time yes exactly exactly but unfortunately i only recognize that now mm. um it got to the point it got so bad actually where in the end i just bought this ugly black maxi dress it was really loose fitting it was not very nice and I just wore it to every single meeting and the older sisters would ask me oh you know you're such a pretty girl why do you wear this I said because I'm fed up of spending my money I'm like 14 I don't have a lot of money and I'm fed up of wasting it all in clothes just to try and please some blokes Mm. so when I bring this incident up to my parents they don't see it as a big thing and 
to them it's a to them they think i left because i'm bitter about incidents like this mm. but what they don't realize is how badly that impacted my self-esteem um and how badly it just impacted my life really so moving on from that i got baptized when i was 14 um to me it was natural progression my mum has since said well if you didn't fully believe in it or if you had questions why did you get baptized and I said because I didn't know anything else um when you're brought up a Jehovah's Witness the fact that Jehovah exists is as much as a fact as the fact that the sky is blue yeah and that grass is green um and because questions, when you ask them, you're given these rubbish answers, such as it's not for me to know, well, I didn't think that my questions were valid. I thought that getting baptised would bring me closer to Jehovah and that it would solve all my problems. Um, spoiler, it didn't. <laughs> mm. um, I was happy at the time when I got baptised, because I was in anticipation of this Holy Spirit flooding my body, <laughs> and I thought that I would suddenly grow this love for Jehovah that I saw other people in the Kingdom Hall displaying. But I didn't. Um, I was doing really well at school at the time, and when it got to sixth form, I did one year, and then I dropped out because I thought that maybe maybe the reason why I wasn't feeling what I was supposed to feel was because I wasn't uh, throwing my whole life to Jehovah. Um, you know how they say to throw your burden on Jehovah and yep. give everything a chance. Make the truth your own. Yes. Yeah. But you said really resonates with me. I went through my whole childhood and adulthood as a as a Jehovah's Witness, feeling that there was something wrong with me that I didn't have this love for Jehovah that I saw everyone else had. Particularly my mum, who many described as a spiritual giant, because she just eats, sleeps, breathes, and lives the truth. <laughs> and um, I was always comparing myself to that and thinking that there was something wrong with me, why I didn't get it. Yes, that's that's really exactly how I felt um, and I thought I was alone and I think when you are a 14 15 year old girl not to say it's something that only girls feel but sorry the teenage years are so tumultuous anyway mm -hmm. but then to feel like not only might you be isolated at school and not fit in but you don't I didn't even fit in in my own community I didn't fit in in my own family, and I wanted to. Um, I was always kind of painted to be a rebel because I would question things. But actually, looking back on it, I was a peacemaker because essentially what I was doing was forcing myself to live this life to fit in and keep my family happy because I saw how distressed my mum would get Whenever I questioned things, I would see the confusion on her face, genuine confusion. Um, 
because obviously she's raised me in a certain way and, and sometimes I would act out in a way that didn't align with the person she thought I was. Mm. Um, so it's kind of funny because I was doing well at school before I dropped out and actually what happened was despite the elders often picking on me they asked me to do a talk at the convention at Bowes Road um, and I jumped at the opportunity um, because I thought that it again I thought this would be a good way to please Jehovah and be blessed for it um, and the piece that I did was actually a little dramatization of me explaining to my science teacher why I was not going to pursue higher education mm. um, I did this at two conventions two weeks in a row and I think after that I felt hypocritical for even desiring to continue my education um, at this time I'd I'd gotten into everything Japanese. I had dreams. I had dreams of going to university, studying Japanese culture, the language, studying art, um, and going to live in Japan for a while. And just, I don't know. The dream wasn't specific, but I knew where I wanted to go. But after doing those talks, and after feeling so ostracised from the congregation, I thought, no, you can't do that. What's the point in doing that? Because if Armageddon comes tomorrow, you will have wasted all your potential in the truth. So like I said, I, I, I quit school. And the few friends I had at school actually cried for me when I left because they said, you're making a huge mistake. They knew me very well, better than the people in the King Hall. They knew what I was capable of. Mm. And I think to them, even at a young age, they could see I was making a mistake, but I didn't listen. And I left. And I got a job in McDonald's. And I pioneered. My mum was a full-time pioneer. My dad had just been made an elder. And that pressure to live up to what they were doing and, you know, they seemed happy to me and I wanted that. I wanted what they had. Hmm. So I just threw myself into it, really. Um, I pioneered. It was winter and I didn't enjoy it. But again, that's something that I put on myself. I thought it was my fault for not enjoying it. During this time, when I was pioneering and I'd left school and I was working this job that literally gave me the worst anxiety I can actually imagine... I often had thoughts about leaving, about experiencing the world, about living my life the mm. way I wanted to. But I would continue to convince myself to stay because I still truly thought that Jehovah was real, that Armageddon was going to come, and at the current way that I felt, I thought I was going to die. Because I didn't feel this love that everyone else felt, I thought I was going to die. And every thunderstorm that came would terrify me. Every time the weather was bad, I would get terrified. Every loud noise, I'd be terrified, thinking that my life was about to come to an end and my parents are going to go and live in paradise and they're going to forget about me. Jehovah's going to wipe me from their memory. And it was just 
it was horrible. It was horrible. I, I started getting depressed. And I wasn't even 16 at this point. Um, I was repressing all aspects, so many different aspects of my personality as it was trying to bloom. Mm. You know, those, those kind of years where you start to become your own person. I was repressing everything. I couldn't, I didn't experience things. I didn't do things. And as such, I still suffer today from issues with my identity. Um, luckily I kept some diaries during this time so from when I was about 15 to about 19 I kept diaries and I found them not long ago and I read through them and I, I cried because I was trying so hard I was battling myself Yeah. one day I'd say do you know what I can't do this anymore I want to I want to have a boyfriend. I want to go to Japan. I want to wear a short skirt. I want to dye my hair green. Like all these things that I wanted to do, I felt I couldn't do. And then the very next day, after a meeting had happened, I'd write in the diary and be like, "Oh, just just stick with it. Um, give it another chance. Give Jehovah another chance. You haven't. You don't pray every day, so maybe you should try praying every day." And Maybe you should try making friends with some elderly people in the congregation and maybe that will help. I would... Uh, and reading that diary just made me so upset because I didn't even realise how hard I was, I was fighting myself. And all of that, more or less, just to make everyone else happy. And yet they would call me selfish. That's the gaslighting. That's that's really common in the organisation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a really sad and strange phenomenon. But the organisation itself is very very narcissistic. But it also encourages narcissistic tendencies in its most devout members as well. Mm-hmm. Gaslighting is just one way that that manifests itself. Yes, I wish I knew what these words were back then. Because I knew there was something weird about it, but I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. Mm. And with me, the way that I am, if I can't put things into words, if I know I can't explain myself properly, I would just leave it. So I wouldn't go to my parents and say, well, you're doing this. This is what you're doing. It's manipulation and it's wrong. I couldn't do that. So I didn't bother because I knew that they could just, they could explain their way out of it. I couldn't, basically. Mm. Um, when I got a little bit older, I started going out clubbing. I had a couple of JW friends who were kind of living that double life. And funnily enough, they were quite popular. I wasn't popular, but they were popular. So I would hang out with them. I'll be honest, during those times, I would get really drunk when I would go out because... I would feel so guilty for wearing the clothes that I was wearing when we went out and for just being out. When I would drink, I didn't feel guilty anymore. I didn't care. Mm. I felt so much happier when I was drunk. I felt so much more free. The night time became my time. At night, I felt like 
possibilities were endless. Anything could happen. And I loved that feeling. I loved that feeling so much because everything else was just predetermined. The end is going to come. You need to have a Christian personality. The Christian personality is X, Y, and Z. Do your pioneering. Marry an elder. There's your life. And I didn't want that. <laughs> so... I wouldn't say I had a drinking problem. It wouldn't happen all the time. But when I went out, it was a problem. So I guess you'd say binge drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly enough, my parents did not clock on to the fact that this was happening, despite me coming home at God knows what time in the morning and go to the meeting the next day with a hangover. Um, when I look back on it, I don't think that was me. But at the same time, I did enjoy it. And it did help me with my self-esteem funnily enough it's not good the fact that going out clubbing and having boys look at you helps but my self-esteem was so low Mm. from the elders that it kind of helped in one way it was a bit negative in another way because I was looking for validation from men because I didn't get it from my dad unless I was studying the watchtower every day and praying and answering up and going to meetings and being friends with the people they wanted me to be friends with I was never making them proud especially not my dad my mum's a mum she's nurturing you know she's like that but back then my dad would be the more strict one and he would often ask me you know what are you doing with your life what are you doing with your life you know I never see you you know studying the watchtower and what are your plans? Like, you can't just keep sitting in your room and watching TV all day. You should read the Bible or, you know, just things like that. Yeah. And I just never felt like I could live up to the person he wanted me to be. And especially because he was an elder, I felt like I was doing the whole family a disservice. I was dishonouring my whole family. And unfortunately, as I said, that led me down the route of seeking that from boys. And I have got to tell you, Jehovah's Witness boys are disgusting. I can't tell you about worldly boys at the time because I didn't speak to them. But the Witness boys, I think, took advantage of girls. They really did because they knew that there were more girls than there were boys. You often hear that said. They also knew that if a girl hit 25 and she weren't married, well, her, her odds of finding someone was slim. I think that is what gave them the power to treat girls the way that they did. And a lot of the ones that I was, was talking to, they had the mindset that, well, if we don't actually have sex, it doesn't matter. It's not a sin then. And they would manipulate you into doing these things with them. And they wouldn't continue it. I would go into things with the best intentions. I want a boyfriend. I want to get married. You know, I want to have that, that perfect JW lifestyle. But because we were kept so young, and because parents, I don't think Travis Whitney parents didn't really talk about sex or relationships very much I was very naive Mm. very naive 
and I just thought that, well, if a boy is giving me attention, it means that he likes me. And if he likes me, we're going to date. And if we date, we're going to get married. <laughs> and I'm talking like I'm 19 years old here. I should know better, but I didn't. Mm. I couldn't have. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately, that led me down the route to a couple of things where judicials were held. And those judicials were very, very hard. Mm. Very, very hard. Um, I've definitely heard some horror stories about, you know, young women in the organisation and the, the questions that they're asked and, the you know, during judicial committees and the, the, the things they're forced to mm-hmm. admit, you know. I, I can only imagine how how distressing it must have been. Yeah, I think no one can prepare you for that until you're in it. Um, and obviously no one talks about it when they come out of it, so you've got no one to tell you that that's how it's going to be. Um, I mean, at this time, at this point in my life, I was a mess. I was very, very depressed. I was doing a job I didn't like, Uh, binge drinking on the weekends, basically hated myself, didn't know where my life was going, and now I've got boys messing me around. Boys who, because of my naivety, I got attached to very strongly. It's embarrassing to look back on it, but it is what it is. And so when they turned around and went and told elders about what we'd done, they didn't speak to me before they did that. And I'm just in a meeting and the next thing I know, an elder goes, oh, can we just have a quick word with you in the back in the second school? Mm. And those words strike fear. Yeah. <laughs> Real fear. Um, I think something, something about it told me that this was not going to be another conversation about my clothes. This was going to be something else. And I, it was just awful that they bring up the name of the person do you know this person yeah Uh, well they're saying x y and z happened did that happen and when you think that jehovah is going to bring the truth out regardless you just you just tell them everything Mm -hmm. things that realistically they have no business knowing Mm. so the first one the first judicial before I had the judicial, they told me I had to tell my parents what had happened. They said, you have to tell them what happened, and if you don't, we'll tell them. Um, I mean, some kids might be open with their parents and be happy to talk to them about that stuff. Me, no. I didn't want to. Especially not because I built up this image of myself to them, where they thought I was happy in my life, they thought I was doing well in the truth, and realistically I wasn't. So for me to have to tell them this, it kind of brought everything I'd built up crashing down. And funnily enough, that was one of the first times I think my dad cried in front of me, because he was so disappointed. And to see that, it just... It just wrecked me completely. I felt like I'd done something awful, absolutely awful. 
I know now that's not awful. It's just part of growing up. It's completely natural. But at the time... And to, to be quick, I know I don't really need to say this, but to be clear, I have not even actually had sex. I just want to put that out there to show how petty the elders are, that they will put you through hell when you have not actually done hardly anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second judicial I had was literally a couple of months after, and that's just because I didn't tell them everything in the first one. <laughs> um, I don't remember how they found that out, but... Unfortunately, they kept bringing up things that we discussed in the first judicial, which were distressing to me because I thought that we'd already discussed that. Mm -hmm. We'd already, you know, I've already repented of that. I don't want to talk about it again. It's not something I want to linger on. I was lucky, I will say I was lucky. I was only reproved privately for that. Which I'm surprised about, to be honest. But for the next two years, I was on the straight and narrow. I still went out, to be honest. But I didn't do anything. I wasn't drinking as much. I wasn't getting in contact with boys. I just wanted to forget that part of my life. And again, I was trying to be an upstanding witness. Um... My job situation had improved. I had a bit more money coming in. I had a car now. So I think being able to leave my parents sometimes and just go out by myself was so helpful for me because any time I could get away from the witness life, I flourished. I blossomed. I felt so good. Um, I did get to the point, actually... Before my last judicial, I did move out for about a week with a work colleague. Um, this was me trying out not being a witness. And it came as a shock to my parents because, like I said to you, I'd been on the straight and narrow for a good couple of years. They weren't expecting me to just up and move out. But I said to them, I don't, I don't, I'm not leaving the truth. But you keep telling me that I shouldn't do all these things, but I haven't experienced any of them. You tell me I'll get, you know, I'll hurt myself if I do them, but I feel like I just have to do them myself and find that out for myself. Um, so I moved in with a girl from work. Like I said to you, it only lasted a week because I tried weed and it made me so sick. And I thought that it was Jehovah punishing me for moving out. Um, I had enjoyed myself there because I could be myself, but again, those thoughts of, is it worth it? Armageddon's going to come and I'm going to die. For what? Just so I could go out clubbing every now and again. It's not worth it. So I told the elders I'd smoked weed and again, they just gave me a slap on the, slap on the hand and I moved back in with my parents. Can can I just ask? Do you do you think mm. that maybe because your dad was an elder, they were more lenient with you? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't because my dad, as an elder, got treated very badly. He okay. was the only black elder in the hall. Everybody made it known. There was some weird racial thing going on there. 
Oh, he's the first black elder. Oh, he's black, he's black. Oh, he doesn't sound black. It, like, they would always say these kind of things. and So I don't think that, because like I said, he was not treated very well. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling it was because they wanted me to come back into the truth and they knew that at that point, I guess, if they did disfellowship me or anything, maybe I wouldn't come back. Right. I think there was some pleading from my parents on that behalf. And because I'd come straight to them, literally the day after I smoked weed, I came straight to them in tears, like, oh, I'm sorry. They did let me off. Um, I, I, I just remember the time after that, though, it was, it was just weird. I felt like I was in limbo. Because at this point, I've had two judicials. I've told you I've tried drugs. You can see me struggling, but the elders never, ever reached out to me. They'd happily come to me when they had a problem. But there was no, oh, do you need a shepherding visit? Do you want to work with me on the ministry? Do you want to have a chat? What's going on? I think my mum had mentioned to them that I had some mental health problems at this time. But there was just nothing from them. Nothing at all. And I started feeling really resentful. I started getting bitter and angry. Um, I'd find it difficult to be in the meetings whenever certain ones gave talks from the from the platform. I'd start getting pissed off because they're talking I've, I've about. Been oh, there. Yeah. Been there. I know exactly what what that is like. There, there's been a couple of times where I've like unconsciously kissed my teeth as a certain just mm. got on the platform this time. <laughs> I did it out loud <laughs> without realising it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at the meeting for field service as well, that happened a couple of times. I just... You must be like me, find it really hard to hide your real emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, not even just really hard, I find it impossible. Mm-hmm. Impossible. <laughs> I just... My face during the meetings, if someone could got a picture of my face during the meetings, it's just eye rolls and like like you said kissing your teeth my mum would be like be quiet stop doing that it's, it's like elders would get up there and, and be talking about living a simple life when you've got a flipping brand new Audi out there on the drive with your four bedroom house and you ain't got no kids what are you talking about working in London you know it would annoy me because they would come to me and tell me that I wasn't living right but then they don't seem to be following it themselves. Um, so anyway, this is kind of when my really depressed phase, back when I was about 17, 18, came back to bite me in the ass. Despite having two judicials before, there were still some things I had not told them. I don't feel bad about that now because they didn't deserve to know it, but... All these years I've been living with this guilt. But there was still one thing I hadn't told him. It wasn't anything worse than the other stuff they knew. But it just felt like, God, at this phase, if I tell them one more thing, they're going to think that I'm like a complete slack. (laughs) I don't know if you can have that word on your channel, but that's the picture they're going to get for me. I knew in my heart that that wasn't the case because I knew at that time what I was going through and how that manifested. 
in what I was doing at that time. And I hadn't been doing anything for a good couple of years. But it was really starting to eat me up. And I was getting to my early 20s now. And I'm thinking, I still haven't got, I still haven't found a boyfriend. I'm still not feeling this love for Jehovah. Something is wrong. And I think it's because I'm holding back. And I need to tell them what happened. So I called, I called a meeting with the elders. Um, and I told him. And I remember one of them looking at me and, oh, what are we going to do with you? What are we going to do with you? What are you like? It's almost like he was expecting something else to happen from me. Because that's, to me, that's the image that they had of me. I was just a problem child from the start. She don't want to wear the clothes that we think she should wear. She's drinking, she's doing things with boys. She's, you know, asking questions. That's the image that I think that they had of me. So we had the judicial meeting and it was really late at night. It was about, when it started, it was about eight o'clock. And we went through everything. And yet again, they kept bringing up stuff from the first two judicials, which was years ago. And I can't help it. I started getting a bit sassy. I'm not going to lie. I did because I was fed up at this point. I was like, look, you have not come to me to help me for years after you've seen what I've gone through. Um, all you ever do is come to me with problems. And in fact, when you have problems, you don't come to me. You go to my dad. I was like, I'm grown. I'm old enough now to have my own children. Come to me. Um, anyway, and I was like, I thought that the things that we discussed before were you know, they weren't something you think of. What happened to the whole scripture about, you know, your sins being made white like snow? Apparently my sins are still pink because you're still talking about them. And I think because I didn't cry during that judicial, because I was actually standing up for myself for once, I said, look, I'm coming to you out of the goodness of my heart because I need help. I need this sin to be washed clean. I need you to know about it and I need you to help me going forward because I'm not feeling how I'm supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, instead of that, they disfellowship me. <laughs> so the complete opposite. And it was about half past 12 in the morning at this point. I'm still in the Kingdom Hall. Wow. With three old men talking about sex. It just felt so wrong. I was nervous, my stomach was in, in knots, I was angry, I was upset. I'm still, you know, I was on antidepressants at this point, so I was still going through this weird phase of swinging from very emotional to completely detached. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I tried to explain that to him. I said, I know I haven't cried, and I know you might think I'm not sorry for what I did, but it's difficult for me to show emotion because... I, uh, I do have depression, I'm on these tablets and also this thing happened like three years ago you know, I've come to terms with it now it's not something I'm going to cry about but it didn't matter to them they no. said we're going to disfellowship you and they gave, me, they gave me this Watchtower article about depression they said oh, have you tried 
drinking water and exercising? They just haven't got a clue. I was like, yes, yes, I have tried those things. I was like, that's the reason I'm literally on the pills for it. I'm pretty sure if water exercise could have solved it, the doctor would have given me that back then. Oh, well, what about praying and getting out in nature? And when they said that, I said, can I leave now? I just stood up. I said, is it done? Oh, we need to pray. I was like, well, can you pray? Because I want to leave. So they just said the prayer. And as we were walking out there, oh, are you okay? Do you think you're going to be safe to get home? And I just gave them that stink face, like, yeah, I think you know what I mean, yeah. They're like, oh, we're going to walk you to the car anyway. I was like, you do what you want. So I came, I got, got in my car. I put this, I think some people might know the song, Big Sean, it's I Don't F With You. And I turned it up full, full volume. And I tire span out of the... <laughs> out of the Kingdom Hall because I couldn't quite get a grasp on what I was feeling mm. and that came true on the way home I started crying the minute I was away from them I just started crying and I actually had to pull over the car because I tried to crash the car I was trying to hurt myself I wanted it all to end it was just all too much I think that that drive home from that meeting after talking about everything that's happened it just exploded and I had to call I called my parents when I pulled the car open over I said I'm on my way home I've been disfellowshipped I'm struggling if I'm not home in the next you know 10 minutes or so come out and look for me because I don't know I don't know my mood's all over the place. I might get back in the car and feel fine. And the next minute, I, I don't know. Yeah. I did make it home. And funnily enough, my parents were actually against the decision to disfellowship to me. Because I'd gone forward myself. And we were looking up all the articles in the watchtower about disfellowshipping. Where it said that. Only someone whose heart has become hardened and who refuses to listen to counsel should be disfellowshipped. And that wasn't me. I know I've been a bit sassy, but at the end of the day, I've come forward. I've shared everything with you. And I've asked for help. So they didn't get it. They didn't understand why I'd been disfellowshipped to my parents. They were pretty upset. Um, so we decided to appeal and that gave me an extra couple of weeks and during those two, couple of weeks I literally lived as if I was going to die that's how it felt for me it wasn't so much the thought of not being able to answer up or not being able to talk to people it was more so the thought of how much I will disappoint my family now how much shame I am bringing to myself and to my family. The appeal committee, they just went with what the elders said. I didn't know that you could appeal it again to, um, to Bethel. I didn't know that you could do that. So I just went with it. And I got disfellowshipped on New Year's Day. 
a great way to ring in the year. That meeting was, again, very difficult. I did go to it, though. Um, I know some people don't go to their meetings, but I did go to mine. The kind of sassy girl came out again because I did, I, I dressed up for that meeting. I looked fantastic and I just, I felt like if you're going to crap on my name, if you're going to say I've been disfellowshipped, no one knows why. Everyone's going to think they know why. The very least I can do is show up and look like I don't care. Because I felt like I didn't want to be vulnerable anymore. I didn't want to open up anymore. I've opened up and this is where it's got me. And the second they announced my name, I just got up and walked out. Um, and I think doing that is the reason why lots of people think I only left because I'm bitter. I've got a you know, bone to pick with the elders. But as I'll tell you, that's not necessarily the reason why. Mm. Um trying to remember what happened after that I, I was I was only disfellowshipped for nine months <clears throat> so first letter went in after three months obviously rejected now after six months I thought I was in for a good chance there was quite a lot of young people around at the time getting disfellowshipped and a lot of them had been let back after six months and because I've been going to every meeting I've been making sure that I was dressing properly and whatnot um I thought that I was in for a good the chance of being reinstated now this time they did bring me in to the second school to discuss it and they said oh we recognize that you've been to every single meeting we're really appreciative of that um your letter is very very heartfelt but we're not going to reinstate you because um the clothes that you're wearing we, we don't think they're acceptable mm. <laughs> um and I lost it. It Through the whole of this interview, it does sound like I'm a complete mess. And I have to admit, I was. Most of my teen years, I was just a mess. I lost it. I actually started banging my head against the desk. Because, again, I was trying to hurt myself and trying to just phase out of the situation. And I started screaming. I mean, it's very clear I was not very mentally well at the time, but I was screaming and I said, get my dad in here now. I said, oh, he can't, he can't come in because this is a judicial matter. I said, get my dad in here now or I'm going to do something. I think they were a bit worried, so they did actually bring him in. And I was clinging to my dad like a baby. I was just so... I can't even explain the emotion upset, disappointed, depressed, kind of suicidal at this time. I didn't know what to do. My dad said to them, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that you've rejected a letter based on something that she did not get disfellowshipped for. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Completely different issue. And it's not even one that is a disfellowshipable offence. Precisely. Um... I, I just feel like they wanted me to come back perfect. And I said, well, I'm not having any interaction with anyone. So I don't know how you expect me to fix myself by myself. You never helped me when I asked you. And now you're expecting me to do it by myself when I'm, I'm 
literally the human version of a mess. That is what I am right now. I can barely get myself to the meetings, let alone anything else. I'm doing what I can. Um, but they just upheld it. I went out for dinner with my parents after that because they could see that I needed it. I'm so, so lucky I was living at home. That's all I can say. Mm. That's all I can say. And that's part of the reason I wanted to share this story with people because people might not see the struggle that, that others go through. There's ones out there who weren't living at home and maybe they did take their own lives. Maybe they did do really bad things, but... That's, that could have been me. That's the point. It could have been me. And it could have been any of you. Even the ones of you who are lucky, who don't have problems with the elders. This happens to, to people, to, to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, like I said, I was so lucky. I was lived at home. They, they took me out for dinner. They calmed me down. And they said, look, give it another three months and you'll probably be back. And I said, I can't. At this point, I said, I don't know if I want to come back mm. because it's clear to me that this has nothing to do with Jehovah. This has nothing to do with my relationship with God, does it? I said, if you're going to tell me I can't come back because you don't think the clothes I'm wearing is, is correct, what's that got to do with Jehovah? What's that got to do with my relationship with him? Nothing. You're sitting here telling me that your prayer in the judicial meeting, had Holy Spirit. I call bullcrap on that. And I said this to my parents there. I said, I, it's rubbish. Because you yourselves can see how torn up I am about this. And if Jehovah really was, in, was part of that meeting, he would be able to read my heart and see that I deserve to come back. And that's not, that's not the reading they got. They read me like a human, like an imperfect power trip human would read another person. That's what happened. Exactly. You saw someone who's suffering, who can't, um, who can't relay their emotions properly, and you just took it on face value. That's it. I said, I will come back for you. So my parents said, I'll come back for you. And I'll come back for Jehovah, because from now on, this is between me and Jehovah. I don't care what the elders say. So obviously I still believed in him at this point. And sure enough, nine months passed, I got reinstated. And that, that meeting was horrible, actually. Can I just ask, when, when you finally got reinstated, mm. between then and the time when they said that they, they you know, didn't, think your dress was appropriate had mm. you changed the way that you dressed yeah okay I had I mean I'm not gonna lie and say I did a dramatic change but I made sure that my clothes weren't too tight that they weren't too long um I wasn't showing any cleavage or nothing like that like I said about when my actual meeting when I got disfellowshipped I did dress fancy mm. when I went to the meetings because I felt I'm not a vain person, but I'm, you know, I like to look good. And if I'm disfellowshipped and people are thinking bad things about me, the last thing I want to do is turn up looking like a tramp. You know, I want to at least turn up looking like my life hasn't fallen apart. Yeah. So, you know, and I wonder if they thought that 
by me turning up like that, then maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to show off or show that I don't care. That wasn't the case. I just, just wanted to look good so I could feel a bit better. And not to mention, none of the elders had told me during this time that they didn't like how I was dressing. So how was I supposed to know? You knew damn well I was going to put a letter in at six months, but you didn't, you didn't give me no counsel. You didn't say, oh, sister, if you want to get reinstated, maybe you should. They didn't do that. They waited for me mm. to put in a heartfelt letter just to turn it down. Um, but yeah, the, the meeting I got reinstated was love bombing to the nth degree people coming up to me hugging me oh we're so happy to see you oh we've missed you I was like I've been here I've been here the whole time you cross the street when you see me because I worked I worked in town at this point so I often walked past people in the ministry walked past people in the carts walked past the elderly people doing their shopping and you know across the road they don't look at you it's like you're a ghost yeah and I'd known these people from birth because I never moved congregations by the way They'd known me. Um, so now all of a sudden they're hugging me and telling me they've missed me. It just felt very, very fake. And it's funny because me being disfellowshipped was probably the start of me really, really waking up to how the organisation is a load of crap. Um, I hadn't really thought about that before. I'd been, I'd been annoyed with the elders, but... I hadn't really given it any thought, but now I could really see it. And I, I I got a lot of anxiety after that because I'd become accustomed to not having to talk to people, not having to do that rubbish small talk. Oh, how's school? How's work? Like, just talking about crap. And because I hadn't had to do that, suddenly now having to interact with people at the meetings, it made me really anxious. Um, I would sometimes have to go out for about 10 minutes just to catch my breath during the meetings um, if there was ever watchtowers that covered anything to do with disfellowshipping I took it personally I really did and I would, I would get very upset I would sometimes cry out the back because I still felt like they were talking about me it's talking about disfellowshipped people. They, their heart is hardened. They've not listened to counsel. They've continued to sin. And I'm like, you're basically saying that that's what I was like. And it's not true. So that went on for a couple of years, really. I'm trying to remember how old I was. It did go on for a few years. And Repeatedly, again, I was asking the elders for help because I just, I really wanted it. I really wanted to be who I thought I was supposed to be. And up until now, I'd failed. Yeah, I was ignored. There was only one time where I, I asked for a shepherd and visit and they said, well, we can't do that. Just work with brother so-and-so on the ministry and, and that'd be good. So I was like, fine. And I worked with him and I was going through everything. I was like, I'm just finding it really difficult, you know, my anxiety, I'm still got depression and I'm not 
I'm not feeling connected to anything. And he just said, oh, just keep going. That's what the scriptures say. Just keep going. Just endure. And that was it. Oh, uh, that, that is, really is a trigger word for me, endure. I hated hearing that from elders. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hated it. But for one, I knew that that didn't work. Depending on the circumstances, I knew that that, that can't always be the answer. No. Because there are some things that just aren't be uh, are just beyond your control. Yeah. Y- y- you know, it's not it's not always all up to you. Exactly. It's not always all up to you and what you're able to do. You know. And I, and I felt that. A- another thing as well is that sometimes the elders use that word as as a a way to wash their hands of you and dismiss you and send you away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very, very dismissive attitude that they have a lot of the time when they say that. I'll just go away and endure, you know, that that, that kind of attitude. Yeah. And um, I agree with that. It was washing their hands. Mm -hmm. I think... I think they were just, I don't know, fed up of dealing with me, I suppose. Maybe I'd caused too many problems. I mean, at this point, the majority of the young people who I'd grown up with in the Kingdom Hall had either left the religion or got married and moved away so I kind of felt like you know I'm not that bad compared to what other people have been getting up to I mean a couple of my close friends they were truly truly living a double life I'm talking and I don't want to use cuss words but they were out there boys doing all these sorts of things and then they would come back to the meetings and nothing nothing seemed to happen to them but God forbid I flipping made out with a boy. Oh, well, then we have to have a discussion about that. And it just felt like it was all on me for some reason. And at this point, they, it seemed like they just washed their hands of me after all of that. They only wanted to come to me if there was things that I was doing wrong. When I seemed to be doing everything right, even if I said I was struggling, well, just endure, just keep going. Um, and that was all I got. I mean, I... I did have like a study with a sister in the hall and she was really nice, but I just wasn't, I wasn't learning anything new. That's what I said to her. I was like, I don't understand why we're having a study because I know all of this. Everything that we cover in the book, I know it. It's not making me feel any different. It just seemed pointless. Everything seemed pointless. Um, and those depressive feelings started coming back and, now I was really confused. I was truly confused because I was like, okay, I've confessed everything. I have no sins left for me to confess. So why do I still feel this way? Um, one particular year, I, I decided to just, I did a bit of traveling. Went a couple of places around the, around the world. I finally went to... Japan which was the best experience ever it was everything and more that I thought it was going to be in it it kind of made me sad because I thought when I was younger my parents would kind of laugh at me when I would talk about those big dreams make it seem like that's pointless it's dumb you can't do that you know you just need to live a simple life and when I finally got to Japan I thought I could have done this I had every capability of of achieving what I wanted and more. And I could have been here. 
before, well, not just for a couple of weeks, I could have been living here for a couple of months. I could have learnt the language like I wanted to. And it just started me on the path of thinking of all the different things I gave up for what I, I had nothing to show for it. I, I didn't get the, you know, the elder husband. I couldn't even find a bloody boyfriend at this point. All I had was a bad name, rumours flying around, because you know how rumours fly. I don't know about in other countries, but in the UK. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, it's just like the, the JWs, they have such a bad problem with gossip. It's, it's just the worst. It's absolutely crazy. The gossip culture is really strong. Mm -hmm. Because there was, you know, during all this time that I've been talking about, there were a couple of... Like, a lot of JW parties that I would go to and, and people I didn't even know were talking about me things that didn't happen or stories that were blown completely out of proportion so now I'm like I don't know 23 24 and I feel like I'm never going to find no one because people think you know I've been out here with all these different boys doing this that, and the other that's what they think and that's what's gone round. People in flipping Wales knew about me. How, how do you know me in Wales? I live in I live near London. I don't understand. <clears throat> and I just that made the anxiety worse because I'm going to these parties and that and meeting witnesses. I'm thinking, what do you think of me? What's the I don't know. What's the latest gossip that's gone round about me? I have no way to know. And. I just felt like the future was very bleak. I didn't think I was going to find anyone. And quite often when you see sis single sisters in the truth, they often... I, I feel like there's a pressure for them to pioneer and to be really, really in the truth. Because, you know, they don't have a husband, they don't have children to look after, so what's your excuse? And I did not want to be a pioneer. I didn't want that life for myself. And I thought... I felt like my only scapegoat would be getting married. That's the only way that I might get a break to be able to do what I want to do whilst my husband can just <laughs> be the elder and whatever. And I didn't see it happening. Um, so yeah, Japan, it was, it was sort of a bittersweet moment for me. It was a bit of a turning point. And it was kind of funny because when I got back, a couple months after I got back, I met the guy who would now be my husband. We met online, completely innocent. I, at this point, I still turned down worldly guys, but I like I enjoy writing, and I met him through like a writing community online. Had no idea if he was a boy or a girl. Didn't know what he looked like. None of that. But we just got on really well, and we finally had a phone call, and. He was from America, so we was up till about six in the morning talking. And I started getting those, you know, butterflies and whatnot. And I started getting worried. I was thinking, oh no, what have you done? You know, through your really innocent interactions, something has kind of blossomed. And I think thinking about all the stuff I had already given up, part of me just thought, I don't want to give this up. Why should I? What am I giving it up for? Jehovah has never blessed me for any of the hard work I've put in. He's never blessed me for not doing university, for getting the menial job, for pioneering, none of that stuff. 
So why would I give this up? So I continued speaking with him. And after a couple of months, it came to the point where I I just had to tell my parents. Mm. And I'll never forget, my dad said to me, um, oh, he's probably just a scammer. (laughs) He's probably a scammer trying to get your money. I was like, what money? I'm broke. (laughs) I'm broke. (laughs) Thanks to you lot. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, he finally came to England and again, I have to say, despite the rubbish I went through with my parents, they are very good. They let him stay at the house. I think it was, you know, if, if they're under our roof, nothing's going to happen because, you know, if they go and stay in a hotel, then no one knows. So they did let him stay at the house. And my mum, at the end of the week, my mum said, I, I wanted to hate him. But if you were ever going to be with a worldly guy, I'm glad you're with him. And that was just after a week. And I think that kind of calmed my parents' mind about it, just meeting him. At this point, I had not told the elders. Even my mum and dad told me not to tell them. I forgot to mention, actually, to you, my dad got removed as an elder because of me. When I got disfellowshipped, they took him off. And he, he, you know... He said to them, don't ask me to go back on again because, you know, like I said, they didn't treat him very well when he was an elder. And I think he was unhappy with the situation and how they treated me. So he did kind of stand up for me there. But so, yeah, my mum and dad said, look, just keep it on the down low. Don't don't tell the elders for what? Just don't. I was still going to meetings at this point, um, but I wasn't doing any ministry wasn't studying. I, I was kind of on my way out. Um, I guess. Because every meet, like I said to you, every meeting made me feel upset. And that's not what they're supposed to do. And even the convention, the three-day convention, the thing that usually lifts people up and makes them feel really zealous, it just, it battered me. I remember I, I had to go out because I was so angry because they were talking about um, child they were talking about the CSA stuff and I had to go out because that just upset me but after that week when he came to visit I called him I said you know what let's just get married (laughs) (laughs) I'd only known him six months at this point I'd only physically seen him for one week and I said let's just get married the JW was still jumping out because I didn't want to do anything until we were married and um, obviously, like I said, he was from America. So if you're not married, it's very difficult to spend time together. I'm yeah. not rich. He's yeah. not rich. Yeah. Can't afford to fly out. You know the deal. But <laughs> that all too well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I told my parents and as much as they liked him, they said, we, we can't come to the wedding. We can't support it. And I think at the time, because I'd created this like wall so I didn't see how much people were hurting me I don't think my parents realised how much that upset me that you know I, I'd had a dream of how my wedding would be my whole life dad walked me down the aisle everyone I've known is there and a nice dress like just a dream wedding and at that point I just knew it wasn't going to happen then I had a decision to make at this point it was either 
end it with him and try again and do everything that's going to please my parents or forego that and do something that felt right for me for once. And I did what felt right for me. This must have been the first time in my damn life I said, no, I'm going to do what feels right for me. As much as it hurts me that you're not going to be there, I, I can't care about that right now. My sibling was also just fellowship at the time, as was my best friend. And they said that if I'd wanted to get married in Vegas, they would fly out with me. So we did. We flew out to Vegas. And it's so funny that I was the only one who wasn't disfellowshipped there. <laughs> I was the one getting married to the worldly guy, but I was still actually a JW. Um, the wedding was great, you know, I had a good time. Weirdly enough, my parents agreed to calling in through the wedding. So I was like, so you said you wouldn't come to the wedding, but you're going to call up anyway. <laughs> what is the difference? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guess it must just be that last minute feeling of, oh my God, we're missing our daughter's wedding, mm. maybe. Um, but yeah, they, they called in and they heard the whole thing and that was a lovely time, but the, the worst bit was flying home without my husband because, yeah. you know, you have to get all the visa sorted and that. Um, but even my wedding caused problems with the congregation because my disfellowshipped best friend had come. They didn't know about my sibling because I didn't want to get them in any more trouble. But apparently they they said to me, oh, we've seen a picture of her on, um, on Facebook. I said, well, I didn't post any pictures of my wedding on Facebook, so what are you talking about? I'm not going to confirm or deny that she came. No, well, we've seen a picture where she's, she's in a dress and it looks like a bridesmaid dress. I was like, are you joking? Are you really coming to me because you saw, you've gone out of your way to go on Facebook, search up my friend who's not even in this circuit, let alone congregation, and look at a picture where she's wearing a dress and you're going to come with that assumption and accuse me? I mean, they were right, but <laughs> regardless, it just shows how foolish, you know, how, how petty they are. Extremely petty. Extremely. But I think at this point I'd had enough of their crap. Um, I did not agree with the reason why my best friend had been disfellowshipped. I don't want to give out too much information because it's her story, but all I'm going to say is something very traumatic happened to her and it caused her to kind of spiral out of control. And as such, when she asked for help, she got disfellowshipped. She wasn't living with her parents at the time. She had no one. And because I'd kind of gone through it myself, I'd had the support of my family I decided I'm not going to shun her because one I don't agree with it anyway but two even if I did that would not be loving I'm not going to put her in a place where she could harm herself or fall into depression because she's already been through something that's so awful and to cut her off from from everyone is the most disgusting thing you could have done so I spent a couple of days researching on JW.org. I got all these articles, I got all these scriptures that kind of disproved, that kind of debunked their reasoning for disfellowshipping her. 
and the elders came and saw me and I sat there and I read them one after the other to them and they just gave me that face I don't know how to explain it it's like that mm, that weird smile that your colleagues give you when they walk past you <laughs> that kind of smile where it's like well you are right but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say you're right I'm not gonna go any further yeah absolutely I, I know that elders don't like being challenged at all. Not at all. No. Especially not when you're right. Exactly. I'm not always a big-headed person, but all I can say is I feel like I thrashed them in that meeting. Mm -hmm. If we were on a debate show, I would have won because mm -hmm. they only could come with one scripture. I don't even remember what it was. And I think the, the fact that you're a woman as well didn't go down yes. to... A young woman who they had already disfellowship before... And now I'm schooling them in their own religion. Yeah. I'm proving you from your own books. I haven't gone... At this point, I wasn't looking at no apostate material. I've proved you from your own books that what you're doing is wrong. Um, and they just, just... I don't know. They just kept gaslighting me. And I remember saying something, actually. I said... Oh, it's gone out of my head now. Give me a few seconds. <laughs> That's it. I said to them, when it comes to just fellowshipping, it should be more case by case. You need to take into the circumstances of the person's situation and whether or not it's good to just fellowship them or not. Um, because, you know, you can really harm people. And instead of acknowledging in that, the elders turned around to me and just said, so what you're saying is everyone should just be able to get away with doing what they want. Is that what you mean? And it just threw me off because I was like, are you stupid? Did you not? Clearly that's not what you were saying. <laughs> Precisely. I never said that, you know. And it, 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 it was annoying for me because it threw me off. It threw me off to the point where I couldn't say anything for, for a couple of minutes because I was like trying to grasp at where they'd got that from. Um... And I think it was at that point that I realised it didn't matter what I said. Because even if I said something that did make sense, they were just going to twist it out of proportion and throw it back at me and make me look like I was the bad one. Um, so in the end, it, they said something that, oh, if you keep spending time with her, you're basically sharing in her sins. Um, <laughs> I said, well, I'm married now, so fornicating ain't a sin anyway, so it doesn't matter. But also that's ridiculous, I'm just trying to support my friend I'm doing the loving thing here um, so they finally said okay, well we're going to close with a prayer and I remember saying to them just leave, I said you can leave my house now because whatever God you are praying to is not the God that I believe in so you can just leave and they got up and they left and I think my mum and dad were outside listening, because I, I still lived with mum and dad at this point, even though I was married. And they were like, you didn't just say that to those elders, you didn't just tell them to leave the house. I said, I did. I did, and I feel good for it. I feel good for standing up for myself and for my friend and for saying the truth, because it needs to be said. And funnily enough, I feel like my parents were actually proud of me at that point, because I know they... This is the weird thing about some witnesses. A lot of witnesses don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's going on, but they won't do anything about it. They won't do anything about it. 
Yeah, I think a lot of witnesses, they they do that mental gymnastics in their head. Well, these are just imperfect humans. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that the religion isn't true or that yeah. the organization isn't, you know, God's one true religion. It's just, you know, isolated incidents of in human imperfection. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Um, and that's upsetting because, you know, these are people that, you know, my parents are people I look up to and I expect better from them, really. If they see injustice, I feel like people should stand up for it, stand up for what's right, but they won't. Um, so in their own way, I feel like they were proud of me for doing the things that they can't do, that they won't do. Um, and actually, after that point, after that meeting, the elders have never spoken to me again. I was still going to meetings at this point, but they did not speak to me, ever. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I scared them off. Maybe they knew that there's no point coming to me because I know, I don't want to say I know my shit, but I know and I will research just as good as you will. Um, I moved out shortly after that with my husband who finally came to England and uh, I think that time gave me the actual space to really distance myself from the witnesses because even when you know there's a lot of things wrong, it's difficult to meditate on that, to think about it because you're going to the meetings two, three times a week, you're studying, there's too much bombardment of information that's that's you know clawing you back and that's how it'd been for me for, for probably a couple of years before that point but it was funny how quickly just in say a month of not going to the meetings how quickly I realized I did not want to go back again even if I still believed in Jehovah I just didn't feel like that was the right place to be um and the day I actually would say I actually woke up was me just, I was just on YouTube. So many of us wake up through YouTube and I stumbled on this this uh, channel called Theremin Trees. I don't recall. I know the channel well. Yes, it's such a good channel. It, it, absolutely superb. It's not an XJW channel, it's more mm -hmm. about... Um, it's hard to describe it really it's, it's mm -hmm. about there's elements of philosophy in there um debunking religion in general yes um but when he does touch on the witnesses he is 100 percent spot on it's like amazing His logic and the way he explains things is just impeccable but because i've as i've said because i've suffered from you know mental illness and stuff like that for a long time i often will look on youtube just just about psychology in the brain and how that works and that's how I stumbled on it I was not looking for anything XJW because actually my husband and I we in the early days we argued a lot about the witnesses I still wouldn't look at anything apostate um I wouldn't you know he would say things about well where's the you know where's all your money going that you're donating I'd be like oh you know it's going to help those in need but like, oh yeah you want to look into that I'm not going to look into that <laughs> um but yeah, I wasn't looking for anything. But this particular video was talking about, I think it was talking about like gaslighting, how people in you know positions of power in religion will gaslight and manipulate. 
and he mentioned about the thing where they take what you say, twist it, blow it out of proportion and throw it back, which is exactly what happened to me with the meeting of the elders. And that just slapped me in the face. I'm like, wow. Because I never knew that it was manipulation. I just thought they were being stupid. I just thought they were being irritating for the purpose of irritating. But to see that and actually have a label for it and to know that whether it was conscious or subconscious, they were trying to manipulate me. It blew my mind. And I had to watch all of his other videos at that point. And I remember texting my husband and I just texted him. One, one sentence said, oh shit. And he replied, he's like, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? I said, I'm not chosen it's no more. <laughs> I said, it's all lies. <laughs> I woke up that very, that very moment. I was like, it's all lies. Everything I'm seeing makes so much sense. And it was like, just amazing. I was like on my lunch break, walking into town. It was a sunny day. And I felt this burden just fall from me. All the confusion I'd felt my whole life about not being right, being different, being, you know, dishonouring my family, not feeling the love for each other, everything that I thought was wrong with me was immediately removed. And that was like euphoric. It was like three days where I was just watching. I, I finally started watching XJW videos after that because I just didn't believe in it. Even God. I didn't even believe in God anymore, really. Um, so yeah, those three days... My whole faith, my whole belief system was dismantled. Um, I was only telling close friends at this point. I didn't really speak to my parents about it. Um, <sighs> Unfortunately, those euphoric moments didn't last too long because the reality of, okay, if that's not real, then paradise isn't real, which means if I get hit by a bus right now, that potentially is the end. Um... The thoughts of, yeah. oh my God, I've wasted my life. Mm. I remember through a similar process, you, you <clears throat> kind of different stages of realization. At first, I felt a huge sense of relief. You know, Armageddon isn't coming. I'm not going to die. You know, Armageddon's not around the corner. I'm not going to die in Armageddon. Um, all of that. And then grief, I felt for a little yeah. while grief because even though I was extremely disillusioned with the religion it was still a, a source of comfort thinking that I knew what the world was all about and what was going to happen in the future and why things are the way they are to yeah. have that removed you know it, it, it was extremely uncomfortable but I was like for a while I kind of gr grieved the loss of that yeah it's good that you managed to grieve it. Um, I think because I was going through the... We had our first visa denied and then my husband had to go back to America for a while because I was dealing with all of that and financial problems and whatnot. I didn't, I didn't get the chance to grieve it. I didn't even think that it was something I needed to grieve. I didn't, I didn't process anything. I was like, well, you know, I'm not trying to speak no more. And I, wasn't, I had to move back with my parents for a bit and... They kept trying to have conversations with me. I got really heated. 
which was extremely emotionally, I don't know, it was an emotional toll having those conversations. Um, Because they were doing the same thing, those same, you know, as you said, mental gymnastics. If you ever say anything that they can't refute, there'll be a couple of seconds of, of, you know, silence, and then they'll just be like, but that's why you've got to have faith. You know, and, oh, oh, that's just that one. And there was, you could almost see the cogs turning in their brain as they're trying to work out how to move past what you've said. Absolutely. Um, and as I said before, it was really difficult for me to see my parents, people who I love so dearly, who always, they've done their best with what they knew to raise me. It was so hard to see them kind of being, not stupid, but making these excuses, um, which now I had woken up seemed so obvious. Um, that was that in itself was difficult. I felt like I lost a bit of respect for them at that point, especially when I spoke about child sex abuse and they didn't. just didn't seem to bother them. That hurt. Because to me, they were always very, very caring people. And I still believe that they are, but only about things that they, I don't know, only about things that they can or are allowed to care about, if that makes sense. Um, so that period of time, I had to live at home for about six months before we got the next visa. That was just really hard because I was an adult. I was finally doing what I wanted to do. I'm a very outspoken person, as I've said before, I find it very difficult to hold back. They would always try to claw me back to the to the thing and, and mum would come in and talk to me and be like, oh, you, you, you really don't believe in a God. But what about this? What about? Like, she would just come in my room out of nowhere and start talking about it and it was hard for me to just, what I should have done was said, you know what, you have your beliefs, I have mine, let's not talk about it. But I can't do that. I always engage in some long conversation that turns emotional and and then I feel like crap for days. So just living at home during that period was difficult. But uh, we finally got the visa through and we managed to move away. And It's only through speaking with therapists and whatnot that I'm able to realise that I should try to process everything, process leaving and it is definitely something that's very difficult, more difficult than I think witnesses think. They just think, oh, well, you've left now, just get over it, you know, get on with your life then, stop talking about it, stop looking at Reddit or watching YouTube videos. And I'm thinking, but I can't though. Not Some people can, but I can't. That was my whole life for, you know, well, from birth till couple of years ago that was my whole life and now it's gone and there's a lot to unpack there's a lot of anger there a lot of pain and I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. I do think that there's a correlation between how invested in the religion you were as a witness mm-hmm. and how easily you can just walk away from it after waking up some I mean not I don't mean this in a judgy way some people and you know just walk away from the religion and just n- never give it a second thought. 
you know, they and they leave not necessarily because they they doubt the doctrine or they stop believing in it. It's just that they find the lifestyle too hard, so yeah. they leave and say, "I don't want to. <laughs> so I want to, you know." And and that's it. And they just never think about it again. And th that's fine. That's absolutely fine if you know if that's how they feel. But there's a lot of us who just can't do that. Yeah. I I just guess the sad thing with me is. I don't always show my emotions like to my parents and that I through speaking to my therapist I've realized that I kept a lot of stuff to myself because I don't want to hurt them and because of that that I think that they think I was never truly invested in it they don't know about the struggle that I had with myself trying to convince myself it was what I was supposed to do they don't see my sacrifices as sacrifices they don't know the reasons why I did those things because I didn't tell them I didn't I didn't didn't bother so now when I'm ever saying that oh yeah that actually messed me up big time <laughs> you know they don't understand it um so, you know sometimes my mum thinks I'm talking about her they think that I'm saying that their parenting was bad that's not what I mean that's not personal on you I'm also talking about the rules that you were given by the governing body Obviously, they'll say, well, it's from Jehovah, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> We're not getting to that. But um, <clears throat> even even today, my mum tries to invite me to, to the convention this year. And it's just difficult because, you know, we as XJWs, I'm not disfellowshipped. I'm not, I can still talk to my family. I'm extremely lucky that I can. But at the same time, it does kind of mean that I am limited in what I can do hence the reason why my face is not in this video i would love to be an activist i would love to make videos i would love to scream from the rooftops about how awful this cult is and how it affects people but whenever i do that i upset my family so deeply which in turn hurts me too i don't like seeing my mum cry i don't like my my siblings being you know concerned about me I don't like doing that and so in some sense I still have to repress that part of myself for them I have certain things I want to share on my social medias I get worried if I share this what you know what's going to happen um not even so much as the I don't care about the elders they can do what they want if they want to just finish at me do it I don't care but it's more about how I'm making my family feel. That bothers me. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of trying to deal with that now. But I hope one day in the future I might be able to disassociate because I hate the idea of still being anywhere in their lists as a Jehovah's Witness. I hate adding an extra number. Um, but it's just not something I can do at the moment unfortunately but on the positive yeah. side I've changed so much and I feel a lot more free and leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses gives me a much more opportunity now to get in touch with who I really am and I kind of have to go back to childhood a bit and try and work out who I wanted to be because obviously we didn't really form I didn't really form much of my identity back then so it's just about working through that now and 
I've got my husband, he's extremely supportive, he watches all the XJW videos with me and so he kind of understands why sometimes I am the way I am. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so happy that I managed to finally stand up for myself and, and leave and do that. And um, as I said in the beginning, the main reason for me wanting to share my story is that no, I... I wasn't abused, okay? I didn't have elders chasing me to my house. None of those big things happened to me. But a lot of small things happened. And those small things still matter. They still create feelings of trauma and anxiety. And if you have any small questions, look into them. Don't think that just because you haven't been abused by someone or haven't gone through something really crazy that you can't leave. You can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm so glad that you're, you know, taking steps to to unpack, you know, some of your, your experiences and just, you know, live an authentic and happy life. Yeah. And who knows, maybe I'll still go and live in Japan for a bit. <laughs> And I'm really glad that you got to, you know, fulfill your dream of going to Japan. It sounds like, you know, mm. it, it was a it was a really big milestone in your life. Yes. Yeah. Most amazing country I've ever been to. Yeah. That's great. Thanks again for sharing your story with us. And thank you, viewers, for watching. If you haven't already done so, please click the like button and subscribe to the channel with notifications so that you get notified of all my future videos. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.